police officer Now, how can that be? You can't arrest everybody But you're afraid of Staggerly He's a bad man Cruel old Staggerly Billy the lion told Staggerly Now, please don't take my life I got three children and darling, lovely wife. You a bad man, cruel old Staggerly. I don't care about your children. I don't care about your wife, no. But you done stole my Stetson hat. Now I'm gonna take your life. I'm a bad man. Hey everybody, it's John. Real quick, I just wanted to explain something. At the end of this episode, you're going to be hearing a song by a band called Total Strangers. And this came to pass after Yen and I recorded this, but we have a copy of their album, Lost in a Crowd, to give away. A CD. And um, since I didn't mention it in here, I wanted to mention it now. That the details of how to win that, we're going to do the giveaway just like we do all the other giveaways. We're going to post the specifics on Facebook after this episode is released. And so if you're interested in, in winning a copy of Total Strangers album, Lost in a Crowd, uh, and I explain who they are and the significance and everything in this episode, then uh, look for the details on Facebook and you can enter to win the CD. Okay? That's it. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. It's John. Say hello, Yan. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, From Switzerland, I might add. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm it, stuck. <laughs> what's the now? What's the weather in Switzerland? Because it sounds like there's three feet of snow back home in in Dunfermline. So there was a little bit of snow on Thursday, and it closed the airport for a couple of hours, and then there was some snow Friday. It was continuing Friday. And the airport was closed for a couple of hours, and then it's starting to melt away. So mm. it's it's fine, good, good. decent weather. But uh, I know there's more snow coming back at home. So fingers crossed for getting back home on Tuesday. Good luck. And you're in yeah. Switzerland house house sitting for your sister Irena, correct? Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. And I was using the time to study for the exams I need to take. Good. for uh, a certification I've been wanting to get for a while. Cool. And they're back. They went to Thailand for vacation, and they're back uh-huh. now. So and you're all just kind of hanging out. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a beautiful day today. It was like 65 degrees in Denver yesterday. I wore shorts. It was crazy. <laughs> and I was going to tell you, so we're recording this on Sunday. Today's Tonight's the Oscars. I don't know. Do you care about the Oscars at all? Yeah. Do you get not into- really? Not really. Okay. Yeah. Um, last night I went and saw Darkest Hour. Have you seen Darkest Hour? No, I haven't. I generally, I don't really have anybody that's even that close to my age to go to movies with. So mm. I generally just wait till my son's here, and that's when I go. Yeah, um, I've gotten used to going by myself. Because I go to most movies and most uh, 
concerts and stuff by myself just because uh it's cheaper than getting sitters and and uh but darkest hour i was kind of i was kind of bored i mean i do you do brits do do you guys make movies that take place like in the current time because it seems like everything is about royalty or parliament or wars or old prime ministers or something like that it just and I can't tell them apart and I don't, I'm not as heavily invested in your history as you are. So it's just these, it just seems like one big history lesson after another over there. Oh, I'm sure that I'm sure there are, <laughs> but uh, like I, said, I, I really don't pay much attention yeah. to the, to the movies. So yeah. just, I just, uh, I'm more likely to go see something like one of the, I think the next one I'll probably see is the next Marvel one that comes out. Mm. In a couple of months. Yeah, I kind of swear I I don't even go to any of those anymore. It's just not my thing, and they they end up being kind of noise to me. Even though I I know they make millions, I've heard Black Panther is good, but I don't really have any desire to go. I probably should get oh, over that. Oh, I totally ignored the the latest Star Wars completely. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah, me too. Okay, so let me uh, let's ex- let me explain what we're doing here. So after we did our Q and A and recap of last year, top five and everything, we got a really good response. Do you realize more people have listened to that episode than have listened to John Oates? Isn't that weird? Really? Yeah. Yeah, that 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 sounds weird to me. I mean, it, it, just... <laughs> it does to me too. I started thinking, are we doing this wrong? Bringing guests on here. Should you and I just be shooting the breeze or what? Because uh, I I didn't understand that. And it just took off immediately. And I heard from a lot of people who really liked that. And um, one of our listeners, very uh, very communicative listeners, Hub Rigel, I think these two things kind of came at the same time. I think around that same time he had just finished going back into our archives and listening to all of our episodes. And he was saying how he would he wished he could come on the show and talk about them with us. And I started thinking, well, what if maybe we should do some kind of a recap? If people like to hear from us more than they do John Oates, maybe we should do a recap periodically where we come on every couple of months and we talk about the last few guests and if there's any kind of behind the scenes stories or what our thoughts were. And then maybe going forward, and this is what you and I need to discuss and we're throwing it out for the listeners to hear too, whether or not to bring on an, a list, one of our listeners, like Hub or anyone else, to uh, participate in the conversation with us, and we and yeah. they can we can all talk about the last few episodes. They can ask questions about older ones if they want. I I don't know. What do you think? Do you think we should we should throw that out there? Yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. I think. Having maybe a, a, a listener's viewpoint on one of our uh, shows is, is probably, a, you know, on some of our shows would be a good thing. Yeah. And now, and also, uh, I might add to that point, uh-huh. uh, just so the listeners know, like I think I've mentioned it before, I'm developing the website mm-hmm. and you've had, a, you've had a look around. Yes. And uh, I'm actually building in a discussion board where people can come and sign on and and there'll be a link to the episode in in the in each thread and people can just go and discuss and and give us their thoughts that um also looking to build in a like a q a type mm. functionality into it 
That would be cool. I know you've uh, put a lot of time into this and um, it, it should be very awesome when it's done. So I'm hoping everybody kind of joins us over there. Um, I, I just, it seems like there's a little bit of an appetite to keep a, to maintain a sort of a conversation about some of these episodes. And so I'm trying to figure out the best way to do that. And I think maybe these periodic episodes, Q and A's on the Facebook, on the uh, website, whatever they might be, might be good ways. Now, Here's something you and I should discuss, whether or not to charge people for this. Um, now, let me say up front, I think you and I are, are in agreement that ideally, I don't want to charge anybody to come on the show. Um, I, but I know that a lot of other podcasts do do that kind of a thing. You know, I paid $250 to go be on Rock Solid a year ago. Uh -huh. Um, you know, the guys at Decibel Geek have the VIP uh, program and, and so many other podcasts do this kind of thing. And so there's a part of me that's like, are you crazy? How else do you think this stuff works? This is how you build it. This is how you, um, you know, the, you offset costs or whatever. If you want to go somewhere, you charge your listeners a hundred bucks or whatever. I wouldn't charge as much as rock solid, but 50, hundred bucks so they can come on and then they can be on the show that that doesn't sit well with me but then i think maybe that's how these things work and i'm really conflicted about it what do you think yeah like like i say i think as as much as that would be cool i'm i'm not sure i want to go that that way for the donations for being able to do that you know i'm always mindful of the thought that there may be people out there that really love listening to our our show that might not have the budget to do that mm -hmm over and above their regular expenses. And I, I really don't want to alienate any of our listeners. <laughs> yeah. I, but, I, yeah. You know, I am, like I said, with the website, I am building a storefront into it with items in addition to the, the clothing stuff that Ryan's doing for us mm -hmm. and anything else that he, that, uh, that he wants to do for us. Mm-hmm. And make it so that can pe people could support us with buying merch. That would be the ideal. Um, I don't know, and it's not like you know we're we're upwardly mobile people. It's this isn't our job or anything like that. It's just uh, uh -huh. I'm just wondering if I'm crazy for not doing that when that's what so many other webs, uh, so many other podcasts seem to do. So I don't know. I'm still kind of working this up. And who knows? Maybe there's not that many people out there who would even want to come on. I will say I do hear I do hear from a lot of people who they'll make the offhanded comment. I wish I could come on your show. And uh -huh. that, that means a lot to me. Um, that isn't really that isn't really the focus. You know, um, I will say we are there are a couple episodes coming up in the next few months that are people who work in music versus a musician themselves, because I, I think that follows the sort of uh, template of the show, which is, you know, making a career out of music basically. So I'm trying to think, how do I, you know, how do we give it, give everyone a shot? Um, and how do we get, we let them come on and we can all kind of talk about our, our true feelings about some of these episodes. So I'm trying to figure this out. Um, We'll try it with you and me this time. In two or three months, we'll do this again, and um, we may charge for the privilege, or we may, or ask for a donation, or we may just reach out to our most active listeners and say, "Hey, do you want to join us so we can talk about 
you know, some old episodes. I don't know. We're still figuring this out. Any feedback you guys have would be helpful. Do you have any other thoughts on that? I think where we're both where we're looking at is probably a, a good spot to be. Uh, okay, so let's uh, let's talk about our last couple of months. So here's here's the reasoning behind this as well. Um, if you guys haven't noticed in some of our uh, some of the interviews that I do, I tend to be one of those people who kind of says the thing that other people think but are afraid to say. At least in my normal life, I'm pretty unfiltered. Um, I don't always. I, I obviously I don't um, kind of express my feelings as much on these episodes because I want them to be, you know, basically little care packages to our guests. And, you know, it's wrapped up beautiful little present to them. And I'm not talking, I'm not saying I want to trash talk anybody, but I just thought it would be interesting to kind of share some of the stories that go, go on behind the scenes. And I'll go back. I'll start with um, uh, the Pat Denizio tribute episode that we did near the end of December. And that one was that was kind of a turning point for us because at the time um, I had what I thought were a few decent interviews, but that were sort of niche. Daniel Dax, the Daz Band, um, Sly Fox, Brad Elvis. These were all sort of in the can, and I was just going to string them out over the holidays. But then when I appeared on Stuck in the Eighties, and we got thousands of new listeners thanks to that, I thought, well, I can't just if these people are new to us, I want to give them something that, something good. It needs to be one of our best episodes comes out of the box as they are starting to pay more attention to us. And so I kind of bumped that Bruce Thomas interview up in the schedule and I put that out as our very next episode because I thought, well, this is one that I think the, the listeners could get excited about. Uh, and I really like that episode and it's done really well. Bruce was a really good guest. We had a good hearty conversation around Elvis Costello. Having said that, um, the two episodes that I just had no faith in and was was not, I didn't like that much, were the Brad Elvis and the Michael Camacho interviews. And I purposely was, was saving those for the holidays because, and it, this is dumb in this day and age, because when you subscribe, you get it no matter what. But my thinking was, maybe people will be so distracted with the holidays that if a new episode comes out the day after Christmas, their expectations will be a lot lower. And if it's the day after New Year's, same thing. They uh, won't be paying as much attention, which is really dumb. That's, I mean, in the days of like, now that we have DVR, we can watch or do whatever we want, whenever we want. That's a dumb way of thinking. But that was my thinking. I'll kind of uh, put these out there uh, when I'm thinking people will be distracted and won't be paying much attention. So Brad Elvis was okay. Um, like I've said, I think I've mentioned this on the last recap that we did. I felt like he and I had different, um, you know, it's interesting. He, he came up with Cheap Trick and came up through in Chicago around that same time. And my feeling was that every, almost every interview he ever does, he's asked to talk about Cheap Trick. And I didn't want him to feel like he had to do that again. I thought, let's, let's talk about Brad. Let's make this about Brad. You don't have to keep answering Cheap Trick questions. So I purposely didn't even go there. But I wonder if um, by not going there, I kind of didn't stick to a script that he had in his mind. Um, that one just, I don't know, it didn't quite take off. And as I've said, he, he's a real kind of documentarian. He posts everything on Facebook and is constantly sharing things. And he never shared our episode. I never heard from him again. And I'm not really surprised because I, I don't know that it really clicked for either of us. Um, 
Michael Camacho of Sly Fox, the same thing. He and I, and you, yeah, and you just interrupt. If I'm talking too much, you just interrupt if and when you, you have a story. <laughs> okay, okay. If you have anything you want to interject, just go right ahead and interject. Um, um, actually, just for, I mean, for those two, I know you kind of felt that they would, wouldn't do so well, but the, the story still needs to be told. I agree. You know, and that's a really good point. And I kind of... I learned that after the Michael Camacho interview. So Michael Camacho and I, I've got carved out a couple of hours to talk to him, which is normally plenty of time. And I called him at our agreed time to start, and he's walking to work. As I mentioned, he owns a bar called Ruby Bar in New York. And he's walking to work, and he's, oh, John, hey, uh, you know, I kind of forgot about this, but hold on, let's do this. I'm just walking to work as soon as I get in there. You know, we'll, we'll do this. And so I'm listening to him hoof it down the streets of New York. I hear him opening the door to his bar. I hear him put down his keys in his office. I hear his office phone ringing. This goes on for about a half hour. And then finally he's ready to talk. And I, I think my problem is that I go into these interviews. First of all, I, I, the, the, I keep, uh, the expectation I hold myself to is that I want these to be definitive. I want this to be the story of Michael Camacho and Sly Fox. I want to answer. I want to ask any question that anyone could ever have, and have it be decisive and definitive. And when I can't get there, it really eats at me. And so I wasn't able to kind of get the conversation in the area that I wanted while we were talking. And he ended up starting to tell this story about meeting David Bowie and how David Bowie was like, you're going to be the next big thing and I'm going to see to it. And he rode in David Bowie's limo and he was flirting with David Bowie's girlfriend. And it was a, it was a pretty interesting story, but it was literally going on for like 45 minutes. And I had to stop him because we had to get off the phone because I had to go do something else. And he wasn't done with the story. And we ended up cutting it all out, not because it was boring, but I just thought I can't give people a 45 minute, David Bowie story that doesn't even have an end yet, you know? So while I'm doing this interview with him, I'm just wanting to kill myself. But having said all that, it turned out fine. It wasn't the, it wasn't the episode that I wanted it to be or the conversation that I wanted, but it was fine for what it was. And I learned thanks to you and hearing good things from other people that I need to just let these things be what they are. I want them to be these definitive statements and they don't always have to be that way. You know, sometimes they're just, whatever the guest wants to talk about. So, yeah. And, th and that's what will come out. Whatever they want to talk about, that's what will come out. And we'll, we'll clean it up to, to make it as, as, as good as possible. Yeah. You're and... right. And I, you know, when I, while it's happening, I'm dying inside, but whenever you've cleaned them up and you put all the music in there and I always listen to our episodes one more time after they come out, at double or triple speed because that's how I'm used to listening to my podcast, all the other podcasts I listen to. And when I do that, they turn out, they sound fine to me. But it's in the middle of it. I'm just sure that this is going to fail. I'm sure that all the people that listen to us are going to quit and they're going to decide these guys suck and they're going to unsubscribe and we're never going to get them back. I just, every, it's like every week I go through this depression because I'm sure that if this doesn't come out the way that it's supposed to, we're going to lose everything. And that's a really dumb way to think, but that, I can't help it. That's, it's like every episode, our future hinges on the very next episode every time. I don't know why I think that way. Anyway, 
Daniel Dax, I don't have a lot to say about that. Obviously, that one was really tainted with sadness because of Brian Jensen. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, I, I, that, that one turned out really well, too. And I was afraid that was a little too niche, that people wouldn't care and, unless they knew who she was. But it got a really good response. And poor Brian, I, as I had mentioned before, he lives in Salt Lake. I didn't know him. We corresponded a lot through him, after he discovered the podcast. Uh, I could tell that he seemed uh, like maybe a somewhat depressive person. He wasn't married. He was older. He was so gentle and kind. I, I never talked to him on the phone, but just his emails and our interactions seemed that way. And um, I really wanted to meet up with him. I thought we would have, you know, a, a real kinship because we grew up in the same place at the same time, listening to the same music. And it still haunts me that I had to cancel our dinner, what, two or three nights before he decided to kill himself. I had no idea. It still kind of haunts me. So anyway, that, that episode turned out great, but it's really sad that all that had to go down with Brian. I, I'm still not happy about it. Uh, I think it's good that we we put it out as a, you know as in his honor. I agree. I agree. I thought that, um, and I heard it from a lot of you people offering condolences, and a lot of us, I think, sort of came to the same conclusion. Like it's just so sad. I don't know. I don't know how you help these people um, who are in this mindset, other than just to tell them you love them and hope for the best. I mean, I we've all been there, you know. Um, it's just a shame that. Brian couldn't escape it. Okay, the Daz Band. So let me tell you a little bit about the Daz, Daz Band. This is the first one that has a little bit of behind the scenes to talk about. So they were great. Bobby Harris was so nice. And his girlfriend is named Gina. And um, when I was talking to Bobby, we cut all this out. But I was like, you know, Bobby, there's so many people in the R&B community that I would love to talk to. Cameo, um, SOS Band, Midnight Star, James Ingram. The Brothers Johnson, do you know any of these people? And he said, send me an email and I'll get you whatever contact information I can get you. So I did. And his girlfriend, Gina, replied with a bunch of uh, email addresses and phone numbers for some of these people. And I felt like we had a really good rapport. And then the, the episode comes out. Now, technically, they the Daz Band are technically a one-hit wonder. They only crossed over into the top 40 on the pop charts once with um, Whip It. Let It Whip. I keep saying Whip It. Let It Whip. So, but I knew that they had many hits on the dance and R&B charts, and so I was very careful in my introduction not to say that they were a one-hit wonder, but to say, you know, they may have only crossed over once, but they had a lot of other hits. So Gina emails me probably a week after it comes out, and she said, I've only gotten through the introduction, but the Daz Band are not a one-hit wonder. They have had several hits. And she sends me this PDF of all the hits that they have had. And we're not going to share the episode until you take that part out. And I said, well, Gina, I'm not... Uh, I think I was very clear that I mentioned all the hits. Now, they did have maybe three top 100 hits. but And I even... I, I probably shouldn't have done this. And I didn't do it to be argumentative with her, but I wanted to explain where I was coming from with my with my classification. And so I, I copied and pasted something, I think it was off of Wikipedia, about what the definition of a one-hit wonder was and sent it to her. And I said, you know, this is where I came up. This is, you know, technically Daz Band are one-hit wonders, but I never wanted to, 
I tried very hard not to color you guys as that because I didn't think that was fair. And I even said, I'm a little concerned that you feel disrespected by what I said. And that's the complete opposite of what we're trying to do. I, this whole thing is to, meant to honor you, not to make you feel disrespected. And I never heard from them again. And um, I'm really disappointed because they I was hoping were going to be kind of my introduction into more R&B related guests. And I don't know if they ever finished. I don't know if she's mad. I didn't want to go back in and change it. I mean, I guess I could have, but it just didn't seem worth it because I didn't do what she said that I did, or at least not in the spirit of which I think she... And I kept saying, hey, listen to the whole thing. You'll see. I'm very complimentary and respectful to Bobby. I love the Daz band. We don't, we, this is not a sad story. And uh, I never heard from her. I don't know if she listened to the rest or not. So that's the Daz band story, unfortunately. Well, I think, I think when I move that one across to the new site, I can take that bit out and, and make it to what she was asking for. Yeah. That's not a problem. That's easy enough to do. Okay. I'll leave that up to you. Um, and we should tell, so there's a really frustrating thing. You and I, this drives you and I crazy. Whenever we have to go back in and make an edit to an episode, when you make an ec- so we put out an episode and Podbean, the hosting site starts counting downloads. And when you go back in and you make a edit to the file that you've uploaded, the, the tally of downloads starts all over again. And I mean, yes, you can go back in and you can count up all the different times a, an episode was released and get them individually. But it drives us both crazy that we don't have a definitive just one stop, one number and have to kind of start all over again every time you repost. So sometimes, I mean, I think I'm speaking for both of us. Sometimes it's like, oh, I really don't want to go back in and make that edit because then it throws off the numbers a little bit. I have to do a little bit of extra homework, you know, but Anyway, we maybe when everything moves to the new website, it won't be an issue. Well, the, the way I'm setting it up, I think when we make an edit, it should still track. Good. I uh, hope so. Yeah. Uh, the way I understand it's going to work, that should be fine. Good. Okay. Now, Bill Janovitz of Buffalo Tom. I have some really conflicted feelings about this one. So, I, um, as it, when it was over... I didn't think it was very good, and I didn't think I didn't think that we were universal enough, or that maybe I was universal enough in my approach. I don't like to. I don't want to always get into the weeds. I try to make these. You don't have to care about the band to still think that the conversation we're having is worthwhile. I really like the part at the end that did not relate to his career. That last like half hour or so, but I was so concerned that the first part wasn't good enough and I immediately pinged Tom Neuerberg who requested Bill said I don't know I don't know about this one but yeah and you know I'm like that with almost every episode we ever put out <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah uh, this, <laughs> I wouldn't say every but a lot a of fair them. few yeah. yeah oh this one's not good enough no one's gonna like it um they t- I talk too much they talk too much it wasn't good it's not up to snuff I'm like, it, it, all of them just eat at me. So uh, I get the episode, start getting the episode ready to come out. And I'm finding that I like it a lot better than I thought I would. Now, one thing I should tell you, you may remember if you listen to that episode, while we were talking, I mentioned Mark Marin, And I said, You'd be, you should go on WTF. You would be great. 
he he and at the time he said, "Well, I actually am." And he and Mark had scheduled a time to go into Mark Marin's garage, the famous garage, and be a guest on WTF. After the fact, he asked me to cut that out because he didn't want to jinx it. I think he was scheduled to go record with Mark Marin at the end of January, and he and I did our interview, I think, around mid-December. So he asked me to cut that out. So I did. And I'm thinking, because for anyone who doesn't, I'm, I think everyone in America knows. I don't know how, if you, yeah, know what WTF is, but it's one of the most popular uh, podcasts out there. WTF, the host is Mark Marin. If you're a guest on WTF, it's kind of a big deal. So when I found out that he was going, I'm thinking, well, this is great. I'll time the release of our episode around the same time as the WTF episode. And that way he he can kind of promote both as one as, at the same time. He, you know, maybe people searching for WTF will find us and vice versa or whatever. And then I started thinking, wait a minute, I have a feeling Bill is not going to publicize that he was on our show, but he probably will publicize that he was on WTF. Why wouldn't he? He's a big fan. That's a big deal. And so I thought, I actually better not do that. Maybe what I should do is put it out with enough time in between that he can promote his appearance on our show. And then a month and a half goes by and then he can promote his appearance on WTF. That way he doesn't feel like he's bombarding people with messaging. There's enough of a gap there. So okay. I, we, I moved to uh, put his episode out in the beginning or mid to late January. And sure enough, he didn't say a word about it. <laughs> and, uh, he did retweet. Thank I've said this before, but thanks to many of you who responded to the tweet that I put out saying, what a great episode. And I do. And I have to say, I completely changed my opinion. It turned out great. I thought it was fine. I, I still really like the part at the end where we're debating music. Um, but I thought it was good. In fact, in a lot of ways, I thought it was better. So let me jump ahead. He was on WTF last week and it was a big deal. And sure enough, he was promoting the heck out of that thing. You know, he's on social media, Facebook. Sorry to bombard you all with all this messaging because they just put out a new album too. Um, but I was on WTF and I'm, but he didn't do that for us. He did that for Mark Marin. That I kind of went into a depression after that because it just reminded me that there are, there's a social hierarchy out there and there are cool kids and there are nerds just like in high school and Mark Marin, and he deserves it is the cool kid. And we might be the nerd. You know, it's like when you ask someone out a girl out and she doesn't want to go or she says yes, but she's really just, it's a sympathy thing and she's not into you. That's what that all felt. And you know, we're grownups now. You don't have to feel that way very often anymore, but it really hit me in the face that that's kind of what's happening here. And uh, so I got really depressed. And then I also start. there's another extra layer here that I wish that we had the reach, uh, a greater reach, so that when our guests come on our show, they felt special. Because I feel like we put a lot of effort into making this a really special thing for them. Having a positive effect on them and the world and their fans. And it just depressed me that, I mean, yes, I, I as you know, I'm always very emotive with the guests and tell them how much I love them and all that kind of stuff. Cause I figure I, if nothing else in their darkest hour, they know that weird guy in Denver who talked to them on their podcast thinks that they're great. 
but I wish that our reach was bigger so that they felt like they felt loved by more than just you and me, you know? Uh-huh. And um, I wish that they felt like they, they came on the hustle and then suddenly a bump, they, they saw a big bump. A lot of people went back and bought their records or sent them a tweet saying, I heard you on the hustle and it was great or whatever. I just, I wish that our power to influence was great is was greater than it is because I, these people mean so much to me and they deserve the accolades. And I just, I wish that we could be a force for good in their lives more. And so this Bill Janovitz thing has really kind of been eating at me a little bit the last little while, but I should probably get over it. Anyway. That will come. You know, as, as more people get exposure in your you know, you know, they'll share it with their friends. Uh, their friends will share it with other people. It, you know, it might take a bit of time, but it'll come. Yeah, yeah you're always so optimistic. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am too, and things have been really good, especially lately. After being on stuck in the '80s, we saw so many new people, and so things are. I mean, they are steadily improving for sure. I just, I wish that we were the force for good that I want us to be. Um, I didn't get into this podcasting because I wanted to draw attention to myself. I did it because I thought I could draw, help draw attention to artists that deserve the attention. And we're getting there. I just wish that it could be even more powerful so that when they come on our show um, and they've been given the hustle treatment, that they feel special and, uh, and that the, the um, after effect of being on the show lasts because our listeners are buying their things or communicating to them that they matter. Or I rediscovered, rediscovered you on the hustle or whatever. And I loved it, whatever that might be. So, um, yeah, I wish we wielded more power than we have now. John Oates. Um, that one turned out great. One little tidbit. I don't know if anyone will care. That uh, conversation actually happened in like three parts, three different times in our con- in my phone call with him. My phone died, or the app that I used to record our conversation stopped working. And each time, bless his heart, he called me right back. And um, I think about that because he he's been interviewed a million times, and I'm some like you know redneck bumpkin in Denver trying to figure this out on my phone. And he didn't have to call me back, but he did. Thank goodness, because I think he, I think he, I think we had a good conversation. You know, uh-huh. I tried to ask things that weren't, you know, the obvious things that he's been asked a million times. And you guys can probably imagine. Now, I love John Oates, um, but I didn't. You know, this is my one shot to talk to a hero of mine. I don't want to spend a half hour talking about his new country album. I don't mind touching on it, but that's that's not what I waited my entire life to talk about. You know, so I had to balance this. Um, let's make sure that he feels like we covered his the ground he wanted to cover, which was the the album and the book, and then I wanted to cover the ground I wanted to cover, which is the songs and the stories and the dynamic. I had been trying to make this interview happen for a couple of years. I'll give you a little bit of behind the scenes. So. Hollow Notes are managed by a company called Wolfson Entertainment, and their other clients are Nelson and Loverboy. And we've had Nelson and Loverboy on the show. And I have been trying to get Daryl on the show all along. And their people, finally, about a year ago, almost a year ago right now, 
came back to me and said, finally, well, we can't get you, Daryl, but how about John? And, uh, and you said, yes. Well, I didn't right away. I didn't right away. This is the thing. This is what I'm kind of, uh, poor John. I mean, he has proven himself to be an absolute class act. And I think we all know that Daryl is a little crusty. At the time, I thought, well, if I accept John, does that mean that Wolfson Entertainment is going to go back and think, okay, we did you already, Lamoureux. Um, you're off our plate. So in my mind, I'm thinking either I stick it out and I wait for Daryl or I take John as a consolation prize now. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, honestly. And so they kind of disappeared because we were going to set something up. Maybe we were in talks about maybe doing an interview with John around the release of his book last spring. And they started, they suddenly stopped returning my emails. And so I panicked and I thought, okay, now I'm not going to get anybody. I waited too long to think this over. And because um, I didn't communicate any of this to them, I waited too long to think this over. And now I've screwed myself. I'm not going to get either one of them. The book thing comes and goes. I never hear back from anybody. Then they go on tour with Tears for Fears. And I know they're not going to talk to me while they're on tour. So I let that run its course. And then finally, I hear that he has a new album coming out. And I think, well, let's try this again. So I go back to Wolfson Entertainment. Let's talk to John. And in the meantime, my brain now is flooded with ideas of what I would like to talk to John about. Before, I thought that that was kind of a consolation prize. But now it's like, no, I, there's a story here. There are hooks here that I can get from John Oates that are unique and interesting, even though it's not Daryl. He's got his own story to tell. And thankfully, I read that book, that his book, Change of Season, that helped a lot with this. And finally, it worked out. And so uh, I was really glad that not only he gave me the time, but that I didn't, I wasn't a dick about it because uh, I could have easily just said, nope, I'm holding out for Daryl. I'm not interested in John. And it turns out John's the better interview anyway, I think. So that one turned out well. Uh, let's see. Do you have anything you want to add about any of these? I feel like I'm just talking. Uh, no, no, I really, you okay? well, the Brian Howe one, I know you've got that on the list. I really, yeah. really enjoyed that. He was, he was a lot of fun to, to produce, produce the interview for, because he was fairly, it was fairly open. There was a lot of good information there. I love that one. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, let's talk about Brian, then I'll go back to Public Cruise and Ambrosia. So Brian is another one that I had had in mind for years. And I've said this before. He, to me, is just the perfect kind of guest for our show. Because it's this person that everyone knows, but who is so under the radar and their story is so undertold that we're the ones capturing that story. So that when you on Tuesday afternoon see Brian Howe, Bad Company, no way, I forgot all about this guy, you know? Yes, what is his story? That's the exact response I want you guys to have every week. Now, I had tried to get him for years, and whoever used to do his publicity was very unresponsive. One time he said maybe, and then he disappeared. And then Brian had that heart attack and nearly died. And I follow him on social media, so I'm getting these, seeing these posts on Facebook like, I'm gonna be okay, and I'm working my way back to fighting shape. And, um, I mean, I don't want Brian Howe to die, but I especially don't want to miss my opportunity to talk to him if it's possible, you know? And uh, so luckily, I gave it a, I waited it out, waited about six months, well, uh, three months or so, 
after the initial, like, I've just had a heart attack, I almost died thing wore off, I thought, well, maybe he's in recovery. Maybe he wouldn't mind somebody to talk to, you know? Maybe he's more open to talking now than otherwise. So I tried it again, and sure enough, uh, he was. And he was great. Such great stories. Such an interesting perspective. I thought at the time that I would reach out to one of those Mick or Simon from Bad Company and um, get their thoughts and put them both in the same episode. But then I didn't want that to look as if I didn't believe or that I was discrediting Brian, which it wasn't at all. It was just, I like to do that sometimes. Like, let's hear from everybody, you know? Let's get the whole Bad Company story and from different perspectives. But I was afraid that if I did that, it would look like I was undermining Brian. And I didn't want that to be the case because I was not doing that at all. So I thought, well, I'll get to one of those guys later, maybe if they'll talk to me. So anyway, yes, Brian was one of the ideal guests I think that we've ever had. That's exactly the type of person that I'm going for. So let me backtrack to Pablo Cruz and Ambrosia. I don't really have anything too special to say about those. They both went really well. I especially like David Jenkins um, from Pablo Cruz. I sometimes like to string together episodes that are of people that are of a similar style or genre or vibe or whatever. And so um, I had both of those kind of in the can. And after John Oates came out, I thought, well, this is always my thinking. So if John Oates shares his episode and we suddenly get a flood of new listeners, what are those people going to want to hear? Well, they may think that Pablo Cruz makes sense as a follow-up episode to John Oates. So let's start stringing together a few of those. And that's why it went John Oates, Pablo Cruz, Ambrosia. Even though Bad Company is, you know, much harder rock, it's still kind of rock. So I, that's my thinking in all of those. Having said all that, Brian Howe is the only person on this list that we've talked about that I know of that shared his episode with any kind of enthusiasm, um, which breaks my heart. Um, they all have done well. I've gotten plenty of you know great feedback from listeners, which I really appreciate. But it just it just hurts my heart so much that these little you know gift bags to these people are hanging out there, and their fans would love them and. Their fans don't know they're there. Now, should we talk about Steve Kilby for a minute? <laughs> that was amazing. That was amazing. That was amazing. He did not hold back. No. Wouldn't you say that's like top five best episodes probably that we've ever put out? Definitely up there. Really? Yeah. I, I would... Go ahead. I, I, mean, I would find... Had to displace any one of their top five from last year. So if I'm okay, so let's let's say let's think. I think I think Blind Melon is probably our best episode, and I know that was just before you joined. But I and I judge that because I try to I judge my feelings on these based on kind of the newsworthiness of these. I like, as I said, I like them to be universal. You don't have to be a fan of Blind Melon to find that episode compelling. You know, because the story is so interesting. Your main guy dies. What does the rest of the band do with the rest of their lives? So that one I would probably put up there at number one. But then I think Stu Cook, Robin Clark, and Steve Kilby, and Fee, Fee Waybill. But I think Steve was even more unfiltered than Fee was. So I would say those are probably, you know, up there as, as like the Mount Rushmore of our show. Yeah, that sounds like a fair... Yeah. Steve was great. I um, he was just smoking weed the whole time, 
and um, and, and most of these, I don't have a camera on my computer, so I can see the guests, but they can't see me. And um, he's just, you know, picking up. I see his house. I see out his windows. It's crazy. And I completely forgot to ask him about the Mighty Lemon Drops and the chocolate because I got so carried up in our conversation. So I had to track him down to get back on with me for like three minutes later. And we could never find a time. And it was one of those, like, I'd be at a movie and he would say, I'm ready right now. Uh, Well, I I can't do it right now. I'm at a movie. And I would ping him. I got two hours. Can you do it in two hours? And I wouldn't hear anything. And so we could never make it work. And then finally it worked out. And I was able to get that last little bit on the chocolate and the Mighty Lemon Drops. Uh, Which was such a funny story. That was the best. (laughs) So, yeah, he's just the ideal kind of guest. I love the people who just don't hold back. And and I'm lucky that he and I had a good rapport. I think uh, Steve Thompson was like this a little bit, too. They have these kind of gruff exteriors that are a little intimidating, but you have to kind of go toe-to-toe. And if you do, they kind of warm up and they let you break through and into, into their gooey insides. And I felt like that's... That's kind of how Steve was built. So I was really glad that that one worked out okay. Uh, he's another one, though. Thankfully, a a church fan site on Facebook found that episode. And the, so it's been heard a lot. It's one of our better performing episodes. But he didn't share it. The band didn't share it. I've asked them to share it. I never hear back. So I don't know if it will ever get out there. Uh, and then lastly, Verdine White. So this one just came out the other day. Uh, this one was tough. This one was tough. Because I felt like there was basically no substance in there. I can't pinpoint a single thing that you come away with that interview thinking, ooh, that was really interesting, you know? Well, well there is one for me. Oh, really? What was it? <laughs> yeah, I, I picked up on, on that when uh, when he said... He needed you. To, you needed to come out to one of the shows, <laughs> and then you, maybe your interview questions would be better. Like, oh, slap! <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe he said that. I, uh, yeah, that. Uh, yes, the takeaways from the interview were not they were not nuggets of trivia or wisdom. They were the awkwardness of the conversation. And so I, I mean, he's one of my earth, wind and fire. You guys know, I've talked about it a million times. One of the greatest that have ever lived. And sometimes it's kind of difficult when you get these people to come on the show because you think, well, other than telling them how great they are, what am I going to talk about? There needs to be a hook. There's got to be some hooks. There's got to be some drama. There's got to be an arc that I can tap into to make this story interesting. And so my thinking is, well, let's get, let's get into like, you know, you're, you're this force for good. You're positive. There's a spiritual aspect. Maurice is kind of the, the guiding light of this band for so long. And he's gone now. What goes into keeping this thing what it is and, and making it move? And so I went in with these what I thought were sort of deeper introspective questions. And he wouldn't answer any of them. Not, not really, you know, not with anything that was very substantive. And so I think... Okay, so he's not going to talk about that. Maybe he'll talk about, if I throw names out there of people he's collaborated with, like Level 42 or Martin Page, maybe that'll spark some stories, you know? And he'll, oh, yeah, when I was in the studio with Martin, he did this crazy thing or whatever. So I tried those. That didn't go anywhere. And uh, so then I thought, okay, well, let's 
go even down a notch further. Let's ask him about some of the songs that he's written and been involved in. Hey, Verdine, tell me. Here's my Verdine and White impression. Verdine, tell me about Serpentine Fire. Oh, cool song, man. Yeah, cool song. That's a cool song, man. We still play that song, man. That song is cool. People love that song, man. Yeah, that's a great song, man. Great song. Cool. Very cool. Very cool song. That's what I'm getting. And I, you know, that's not enough. And uh, I thought we were going to have this deep, long, introspective conversation. He had 15, 20 minutes. And he kept saying, we'll do a part two. And so I took him at his word. We talked six weeks later. And even in the conversation, he said, you know, next time, let's talk about us playing Dodger Stadium and Madison Square Garden and New Year's Eve. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we'll make this promotional then for you. We'll talk about the things you want to talk about. So six weeks later, we get back on the phone and I ask him about those things. And he doesn't even really open up about them either. And I'm just trying everything. And then I go to like the bottom of the barrel. So, Verdine, tell me about the kinds of people that you see at your concerts. I bet there's all generations there now. Just the most like boilerplate, stupid, boring questions. Because I can't think of anything that's going to get him to talk. And that didn't work either. And uh, and then, yeah, he dropped that fun bombshell about, oh, Verdine, I've only been able to see you guys once, but it was so good. Oh, we'll see if you saw us more recently, you'd be able to ask better questions. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're right. You're right, Verdine. It's it's my fault. I it's uh, anyway. He's still a legend and I'm not I'm not talking ill of him, but it was clear, I mean, I meant what I said in the interview. If you've been the best at what you're doing for 45 years, you don't have to answer to anyone. And so if there's somebody who wants to talk to you about your clunkers or the darker times or what's motivating certain aspects of your success or how it feels and you don't you don't want to talk about it you don't have to because you're still you're going to be the best at what you did in the history books forever so anyway that one was kind of frustrating okay i think that pretty much recaps all of them um do you have anything any little tidbits you wanted to throw in there yan no i think you've covered what i, I was looking to to go over okay so. Okay, so here's, the, see, this is why I thought we should have a separate episode is to fill you guys in on some of this behind the, the scenes stuff. And you guys tell us if you don't care, if you'd rather not know, if this is boring, um, if you want more, whatever it is you say, and we'll try and do that. Um, I got the impression after our last Q&A that there was an appetite for this kind of conversation. And so I'm trying to appease that appetite. But maybe it's not there. Maybe I'm wrong. So you guys tell me. So let's get into some of the questions. Uh, the first one was a joke from Jason Bluski, but I'll answer it anyway. Am I related to the female hockey players that were in the Olympics? And I'm, I'm going to address this because I got asked that a lot the next day. Uh, yes, we are distant, uh, distant cousins. I don't know them at all, obviously. All of the Lamoureux are related. Um, they chose their line or lineage of Lamoureux maintained the U. So it's L-A-M-O-U-R, just like Lamour, love. That's what Lamoureux means. I think it, I say this humbly, I think it means the great lover or someone who is known for their love. Uh, Hang on a second. I'll ask, a, I'll ask a, an expert. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Who are you going to ask? Oh, my brother-in-law is French. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I thought you were going to call one of my old girlfriends and ask no. her. <laughs> okay, good. Yes, please don't do that. He says Lamoureux is the lover. 
The lover. See, that's I thought so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yes. So that's what the Lamore part is, and somewhere along the line, my lineage of people got rid of the U, and theirs didn't. So that's where those they're back there somewhere, but we don't know each other. Okay. Now. Uh, what is the process start to finish for putting the show together? This is from Jeremy Cornwright. I love Jeremy. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to kind of, if you, again, if you guys think this is boring, you can just do the fast forward 15 second thing for a little bit. Here's how this works. I get an idea. So I'll get, I'll walk you through something that happened to me recently. So the other day I heard the song Missionary Man by Eurythmics. You remember that song? It was a big hit. Oh yeah. Yep. And I remember at the time, when the video came out and everything, there was a black lady singing backup in the band who hadn't been there before, much like Robin Clark with Simple Minds. And the other day I was thinking, whatever happened to that lady? Who was she? Why was she suddenly, at least when you see the videos to the songs that came out on that album, like Thorn in My Side or whatever it is, she's prominently featured in these videos, which is sending a message to fans hey this is a new member of our band this black lady who's going to sing backup for us but she's not just in the background invisible she's very present and very visible in these videos so i'm thinking who in the world was that and where is she and why was she there so i get on allmusic.com i look it up and her name is johnice i hope i'm saying this right johnice jameson so i click on her uh, page on all music and I look up her credits and I see that um, that was probably the biggest thing she'd ever been involved in. She sang with Yusu Endure, who I love Yusu Endure. <clears throat> and I think uh, another, I believe this woman's African, Angelique Kidjo, I think is another singer. So there's a lot of mostly um, background singing uh, assignments on her resume she did, it looks like, put out one episode, one uh, solo album at one time. I've never heard that, uh, that uh, album. But this is getting my brain thinking. Uh, let's see if we can find this woman. And so this is what goes into my thought process. When I see all this, I'm thinking, okay, how many albums now do I have to go listen to? I already have the Eurythmics album. But now if she sings on 40 people's albums and has put out 20 of her own solo albums, I got to go listen to all of that before I even track her down because I got to know what I'm talking about as I interview her. Now, luckily, so this is my thought press process during all of this. So luckily I go in there and I think, you know what? There's actually not a lot. I, this is very manageable. I could go in, I could listen to these albums that she sang on. I could find her solo album. I see that she's on Facebook. I look her up on Facebook. It looks like she's there. You could follow her. I don't remember if she has a website or not. I was going to find this out in real time while we're talking, but maybe that's boring. But anyway, she may have a website. So I start thinking, okay, well, this, this is doable. And then the biggest question of all, and this is what determines whether I do one of your listener requests or not, is am I in the mood? Am I in the mood to deep dive Johnny's Jameson? And um, sometimes I am and sometimes I'm not. And so that's, if you ever wonder, if you ever submit a request and you think, man, John hasn't gotten to my request of so-and-so yet. The reason for that is that I'm not in the mood. Um, maybe it requires more work than I feel like doing right then. Maybe it's not music I'm in the mood to 
dive into. Maybe I got 10 other things going on that are more important. Um, whatever it might be, that's the deciding factor. And so I keep a list. I have a list of hundreds of names of people I want to try and find. I add her to the list. Um, I have not, as of yet, been in the mood to find her and track her down, but I will as soon as I am. So let's say I do interview these people. Uh, usually find them on Facebook. That's where most of these come from. If not, and they still have a website and it's got a contact button on it, I'll click on the contact button. Hey, i a uh, big fan of yours. I do this podcast. I'd love to hear your stories. I have kind of the same template pitch email that I send almost everybody. And uh, I just personalize it. And then I wait for a response. And as I've mentioned last time, probably two thirds of the people I respond, I reach out to, I never hear back from. Um, I wait two or three weeks, try again. A lot of people do finally reply then when you say, hey, I never heard back from you. Uh, if they don't reply then, then you're probably not going to hear from them. Then we set up a time. And depending on where they're at, if they have access to Skype, Nowadays, I try to get them on Skype because then I got to we, hopefully we both have a microphone. It's going to sound better. And uh, but if not, then I can just call them directly on my cell phone and turn on the app. Tape a call. That's what it's called. Cost me 10 bucks. I just turn on the app, re uh, record our phone conversation and that's it. And um, I listen. I try to listen to everything they've ever recorded. Um, sometimes if I'm desperate for things, like if I don't feel like I know this person well enough, I'll get on YouTube and look at other interviews they've done, or I'll Google other, uh, you know, articles that have been written about them. I don't always do that because my thinking is, and I, I'm saying this humbly, my, I feel like I know a lot about music. Okay. And you guys do too. If you're listening to our podcast, chances are you're one of those people too. And we make up like 5% of the entire earth, right? With our useless musical knowledge. So my thinking is that if I don't know why Clark Datchler left Johnny Hates Jazz at the height of their fame, then my guess is that most other people don't know that either. And yes, I could go Google that and I could see where he talked about it in some other article, but then I would have nothing to talk about with him, you know? That's the whole reason I want to talk to him is because I don't know the answer to that question. And I think that's a big question. So there's a there's a fine line between, to me anyway, of doing your homework and your research, but not doing too much. For instance, um, I interviewed, this episode will be coming out in about a month. I interviewed a producer um, who has worked on tons of music that I love. And he also wrote a book. And so I read his book, Getting, Up, Getting Ready to Interview Him. And when we talked, almost everything out of his mouth, word for word, was straight out of his book. Now, to you guys, that's probably fine because you didn't read the book. But to me, I'm less engaged because it's like, yes, I already know this story. I read it on page 47, you know. So it's kind of there's a fine line between doing just enough homework that you know what you're talking about and where you want to go in the conversation and doing too much where it's sort of dampens your enthusiasm for learning about this person and find and discovering new things. So, okay, we wrap up the, uh, the interview. I've at any given time, we have like five to 10 interviews in the can already done. And I just pick the one for the following week that seems to make sense. You know, like right now we're going to do a string of 
British alternative acts. By the time this comes out, Mike Lindup of Level 42 will have been released. And then the next two weeks after that are two more, to, in my mind, British alternative rock legends will be coming out after that. So I string, I, I string along similar people. I listen back to the interview. I have a notebook that I keep all my notes in. Okay, five minutes and 17 seconds, he mentioned Lessons in Love. Play a snippet of Level 42's Lessons in Love. And I write a whole log of cut this part out, tighten this part up, insert the midsection here during this song. Um, and then I send that to you and I, we use WeTransfer and I WeTransfer to you as many files of songs that I have. If I don't have a song, I find it on YouTube and I send you the link. And then I send everything over to you probably three or four days in advance. And then what do you do from there? So basically I take it from there and I'll try and initially pull it into uh, Logic Pro X. So I, I, I run pretty much either uh, Mac Pros, MacBook Pros, or, or Linux machines. I don't run any Microsoft stuff at all. And I pull everything into a Mac, into a Mac Pro and I try and balance it out, the balance out the audio audio in uh, Logic Pro X. Uh, right now, the normalization seems to make it a bit too. Doesn't seem to make it clean enough. Hmm. So what I'll do is I'll I'll then pull that across into uh, the MacBook Pro and GarageBand and and manually tweak it in there and try and get it as close as possible between the, the volume of the, the, the songs and the volume of the speaking. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> then I'll, I'll go through the points that, that you've put in the, in the basically, for want of a better word, the cliff notes. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> put them, I'll go through that and I'll listen and think, does that really, you know, do I need to adjust it to a few seconds before or a few seconds after? And then I'll cut and splice and clean it up as best as I can, and then uh, basically build it on the on the on the MacBook Pro, and then upload uh, upload it to to Podbean yep. for publishing. Yeah, that's it. That's the process. Um, that's a really interesting question. I'm glad I'm glad Jeremy asked that. I hope that wasn't too boring for everybody, but that's what that's how we do what we do. Um, okay, David A. Scudieras, are you a frustrated musician? Why don't you answer this one first? Uh, maybe a little bit. I've played uh, multiple uh, instruments in the past: a piano, trombone, and I was learning bagpipes for a while, and then I spent time working away from the Dunfermline area and then had shoulder surgery and so I hadn't, hadn't and then took a job where working quite a lot in Edinburgh so mm -hmm. I haven't been able to go back but it's definitely something I want to do to be able to get to march with the band to get to that point and your dad does this by the yes, way he does. Yeah, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know Jan's parents Liz and Yurik are two of the greatest people in the world I love them they're like second parents to me uh, but your dad, Yurik, he is in like what do they call it? A fife core? What's the what's well, the actual? It's the it's the Alua Bomar pipe band. That's it. 
Yeah. And they they play throughout the uh, throughout the summer season. They play. They don't do competitions. They actually uh, play to earn money. They actually did a. I think it was last year they did a trip to. I think it was Dubai they went to. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So you come by it naturally. Um, I am not a frustrated musician at all. Um, my dad taught piano my entire life and I've had a grand piano in my house my whole life and it never really, I never really felt motivated to learn it. I regret that now. Um, but he taught piano as far back as I can remember and wanted to teach me and I took piano lessons a couple of times, but it didn't stick. So no music. I'm not a musician. I am, I will admit a frustrated journalist. Um, I think that's more, this podcast is more uh, an extension of that impulse of mine, not a musician's impulse. I got my degree from BYU in print journalism and uh, thought that I was going to be a newspaper man. And of course, newspapers are obsolete pretty much now. So this, the podcast is an extension of the kind of journalism that I find interesting, which is to talk to these musicians in a very deep, long form way to hear their stories. So that's um, that's kind of where I come from. And it's funny. I'm, I really like this question because I feel like, and I don't mean this disrespectful to anybody, but I feel like so many podcasts that I hear out there, the, the hosts of those podcasts are either, they're either frustrated comedians or they're frustrated morning disc jockeys because that's the kind of personalities that they seem to, it's like, this is their moment to be, to let their personality shine. And that's what their personalities are. And that's not really me. I come at it from a a purely sort of a storytelling perspective. So, okay. All right. This is a big one from Brian Morris. Ever consider involving listeners and allowing them to to provide questions for future guests? Yes. I think about this all the time, Brian. Um, And I hear from some of you that you wish that you were involved Here's where I've netted out on this, right or wrong, and I'm always open to hearing other perspectives. My feeling is that I get off so much on the element of surprise every Tuesday that that means more to me than collaborating with listeners on any given interview. I try, uh, I always, if I'm talking to somebody that's a listener request, I always go back to the person who made the request and ask if they want things included in their in the interview. I always do that. And if I know if some of you are big fans of somebody I'm talking to, on the one hand, I may not tell you because I want you to be surprised. But on the other, if I'm struggling for to find that arc or that hook, I may go back to you and say, hey, I know you really like so-and-so. What do you want me to ask them? So I do do that on a personal basis once in a while. But I really like the idea of every Tuesday, you don't know what's coming. Um, Mark Marin does that. Chris Hardwick does that. Um, you know, most of the big conversational podcasts are like that. And so I sort of do that too. Not that we're a big one, but that's sort of my thinking. Having I should say real quick, having said that, I heard from a few people who said, oh, you got Steve Kilby on. I had requested the church ages ago and you turned me down. I just want to say to anyone who I had that conversation with, I completely forgot that I had spoken with any of you about Steve Kilby of the church. I used to keep a spreadsheet. So when people would make requests, I would, I would put them in the spreadsheet 
But then they just kept coming fast and furious and I couldn't get back to the spreadsheet. And now, honestly, I'm kind of concerned because I'm going to have somebody like with the church and we're going to have the church on here and I'm going to hear from you guys like, hey, I requested Steve Kilby. Why didn't you tell me? And I will have completely forgotten because I can't remember the like 200 requests that are floating around in my brain. So I want to apologize to anyone that Kilby one came as kind of a surprise. I had mentioned or been um, messaging back and forth with Susan McDonald, who I've mentioned before is a fan of the show, bless her heart in Australia. And she, she has connections to a lot of people. She's the one who helped us make David Sterry of real life happen. And he's one of, I love that interview. And we were commit, we were chatting about, the church, I think. And I think I had mentioned that I was a fan. And because of the time difference after this, I go to bed. And I think if I remember right, the next morning, she had sent an email to ceasing me to Lloyd Sean Epperly, who does the church's publicity in the States, I believe, saying you should have Steve go on John's show. And Lloyd replying saying, yeah, let's make this happen. So it kind of happened without me even asking for it or like, you know, pursuing it very aggressively, um, thankfully, because that was, again, that was a total home run. So well, let me just uh, yeah, please check here for, for just a second. So like I said, hopefully soon, uh, one of the things that it has on there is a, is a contact <laughs> form. And the contact form has a pull down in so you can, you can uh, categorize your, your contact. Hmm. So one of the things is guest request, and behind that I have a a little tool that will keep hold of all all the contacts that we get, oh, nice. and it won't it won't lose them. So if somebody comes in with a, a guest request, we can categorize those, and we'll see who's requested what guests, and then we'll be able to go back and respond. And that's great. Yeah, good. That'll help a lot. So what do you what do you think about that, Jan? Do you think that I should be more um, all inclusive with people when it comes to interviews, or do you have a, an opinion? For the most part, I'm I'm more for the surprise element. Mm -hmm. But if there's you know when you've got a listener request, definitely get questions. Or if you've got some of our listeners that are huge huge fans of of certain bands, mm -hmm. maybe not necessarily tell them who we're interviewing, but say there may be an mm -hmm. opportunity for you to pose some, some questions. Is there anything you would like? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I try to do now. So that's, uh, Brian, that's where we're at on all that stuff. Um, I don't know if that's the right way to do it, do it or not, but that's the way that I like to do it as of now. Uh, let's see. <laughs> Mike Wagner, uh, asked, he asked sarcastically, but I threw it in here anyway, is Exile on Main Street the greatest album ever? So he thinks that it is. Uh, you guys may remember if you listened to the Buffalo Tom episode that Bill Janovitz and I kind of got into it at the end about, about that album because he's written books about it. And let me just state very clearly where I stand on all of this. I am not saying that Exile on Main Street is not a great album. It is. It's a five-star, historic, excellent album. What bothers me is the groupthink, mind-share mentality within rock criticism where everyone seems to get excited about the same things. They seem to all agree that these things are good and these things are bad and these things are worth your time and that 
Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan and these people can do no wrong. And that way of thinking really rubs me the wrong way. So it's not that I have a problem with Exile on Main Street. It's that I have a problem that people will not shut up about it. That's my issue with Exile on Main Street. Um, having said all that, I just recently, while we were in Hawaii, I finished reading that Jan Wenner biography, Sticky Fingers. And it was fascinating. And I came away. In fact, I really want to talk about that book with somebody. Um, I don't know if I have the cojones to reach out to the author, Joe Hogan, I think is his name. I don't think I have the guts to do that. But I might want to speak with somebody in an episode, maybe a bonus episode, about that book at some point, if any of you have read it, and feel like you could carry on a decent conversation about it. Because the main takeaway for me after reading that book is that we owe, for better or worse, even to this day, modern rock criticism, it all goes back to what Jan Wenner thought was cool when he started Rolling Stone. Because if Jan Wenner had decided early on that Duran Duran was cool, Duran Duran would be the new, would be up there on Mount Rushmore with Bruce Springsteen or whatever. It's, he created it. He set the parameters and the template for a benchmark of thinking that this is greatness and greatness usually ties back to the glory days of rock, which is the 60s and any current artist who is, who at least you can tie their influences back to the summer of love or whatever are more special and better and more worth your time and more genius than Brits who tinker with synthesizers or people who do songs with sax solos in them. And like it or not, we have all been brainwashed to think this way. And that's okay because we have, we think this way because he taught us to think that way. I just wish that people thought outside of that box more often. Having said all that, Yan, you tell me, what do you think is the best rock album of all time? Well, see, I have a totally diff different viewpoint. I'm, I'm, I mean, the Stones, for me, they're good, but they're not the best ever. Mm. So, um, for me, I'm probably more partial to slightly heavier stuff. So, mm. for me, somebody like ACDC would be would have best album and specifically for me back in black yeah with a with a highway to hell as an honorable mention mm -hmm. yeah i thought about that too um i have to admit i'm late to the game on acdc i i think it was three or four years ago i was listening to an episode on decibel geek the decibel geek podcast about acdc and that's when i kind of got converted because up to that point i've always thought well you've heard one acdc song you've heard them all and it was during listening to that podcast that I thought, yeah, it isn't that great. They're all good. Like, isn't that's a, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And so that kind of opened me up to ACDC, um, unlike I had ever been opened up before. So I would agree with you. And having said all that, too, I think I like the Stones. Great. But their version of rock is, I mean, most versions of rock are blues based or country and Western based. And theirs for sure are those things. And I just find the blues really boring. And I'm not, I know that I'm unique in that way. Not everyone feels that way. To me, listening to the blues over and over again is like reading and rereading the Bible over and over again. It's kind of like, yeah, I get it. Be good. Do unto others. Got the message. Thank you. I don't need to keep 
doing it over and over and over again. And that's kind of how I feel when I listen to blues or blues-based music. It's kind of like, got it, thanks. I heard you the first million times. Yeah, I love that kind of stuff too. So I know, most people like, do. The likes of Joe Bonamassa. Oh, I'd love to go see him live. <laughs> see, I don't, uh, I've heard some of his stuff. To me, some of it gets to be a little too much guitar noodling, but I don't know. I mean, he's a super talented. Uh, there's no taking that away from anybody. It's just, it's not what I put on uh, for enjoyment very often, you know? But, um, okay, so you're going ACDC. I think, I have to really think this over. I'm not sure what I'm saying is the best rock albums of all time. I will say two that mean a lot to me are The Stooges' Funhouse and Television's Marky Moon. And, uh -huh. But I think by saying that, it's obvious where I'm coming from. I'm more of an alternative devotee. I like those bands. They seem to be based on something that's not blues or country-based. Who knows what, especially television, who knows what that album was based on. So it's more kind of unique, comes from something sludgier, grittier, more garagey. So that's kind of where my thinking is. But I'm not, those are what come to mind. I'm not necessarily putting my foot down saying these are the best rock albums of all time. But they would be up there for me. Let's see. I'm going to save this uh, top five singer-songwriters to the end. Let's do this other one. Vandal Truong. I love Vandal. He's got his own podcast, Curious World. He asks, have you and I ever disagreed on anything? And I, I honestly can't think of anything. I can't think of anything either. No. Um, let me ask you this. Have you, ever got, have you ever been mad at me? Nope. Really? That means a yeah. lot. Okay, good. Yeah, I think maybe because, you know, we're in different sides of the world and there's a time difference and everything that uh, we don't have a lot to argue about, you know? Um, every now and then, sometimes I'll be like, I don't, I don't know, uh, what picture to attach to our episode. You pick it. Or, um, if you like a song better, feel free. You're, I always let you know, you're free to editorialize any of these episodes, however you want. Um, so there's really no, there's really nothing to argue about. Yeah. Um, and usually if I, if I'm looking at some of the, the photos that you've sent me, for sticking into an episode where if I'm questioning it at all, it's usually from a perspective of can we use that one or do we need to try and find something that's in the mm. public domain? Yeah. That's why I almost never attach Getty images pictures to our episodes. Cause um, first of all, I don't want that watermark on there. And then separately, I don't want anyone coming after me, which happened with John Parr. Remember the, uh, uh -huh. the picture I had attached didn't have any kind of, notation or anything on it but our website got shot down by podbean because someone complained about the uh the copyright of the picture i attached to the john parr episode so that was weird um the one and only time i remember getting frustrated with you is robert tepper do you remember that i think so it's the only so and it was it's so dumb and i haven't gotten mad about it since that was an episode i was super excited about because i I, th I thought that he was a really interesting guest and I thought it was cool that we had him on the show. And I remember you worked late and then I think you had to go to the church to do something. You couldn't post it until way later in the day. And um, I was bummed because I wanted it to come out earlier in the day 
And that was the one and only time I can ever think of even being frustrated. And I haven't been frustrated since. I don't really care when they come out anymore. As long as it's on Tuesday. I don't care what part, what time of day, you know. So, yeah, that's the only thing. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, no, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Okay. Now, Greg Chittister, this is the last question we'll go out on. He wanted to know, and this wording is important in how I figured this, how I came up with my list. Who's in your top five singer-songwriters you'd be willing to take a bullet for so that they could continue to write music? And have we tried to get them on the show? Now, I say I, the wording on that is very important because uh, if who am I going to take a bullet for implies that they're alive. And so I, I purposely didn't include anyone who was dead. This is my own interpretation of this question, by the way. Yeah, and I think you did it differently. So my thinking yeah. is because, of course, David Bowie would be up there, but he's dead. So I couldn't take a bullet for him because he's already gone. So I eliminated people who were dead. And then I also eliminated people like, I mean, you guys all know I'm a huge Hollow Notes, huge, huge Tears for Fears fan. I could very easily include someone like Daryl Hall or Roland Orzabal. But I didn't because their output is so tied with the people they work with often, you know. Um, that it was, it would be hard to, even though, you know, obviously I think Ter- Daryl is the prominent talent in Hall and Oates. Um, he has had spotty solo albums and, um, for whatever reason needs Oates to make the magic happen, you know? So I didn't feel like I should, I could single out somebody who's a member of a band that I really liked, um, because I figured there were other people sort of contributing. I did break that rule with one of my picks uh, a little bit. So let's see. I'll tell you mine and then you can tell me yours. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So first and foremost, number one for me has been, always probably will be is Neil Finn. He is the greatest. He's my personal favorite singer songwriter in the world. Everyone calls him McCartney esque, which he is. I also love Paul McCartney. I did not include him on this list. I could have because I respect what he does, but, um, I'm not as passionate in my fandom for McCartney as I am Neil Finn. He is the cream of the crop for me. Um, and then the other, and then I couldn't, I don't know. This was a really difficult question, Greg. Um, so I threw out four names that um, are the ones I'm leaning on today and would probably feel differently about next time. So I went with um, Noel Gallagher. This is where I'm cheating a little bit because, yes, I know that he made his bona fides in Oasis, but he was the primary songwriter and creative force in that band. Liam sang the songs, but Noel is the one who wrote them. And so um, at this, I, I said this recently on Facebook, at this stage of my life, I just, I get off on Noel Gallagher's guitar playing more than just about anyone else. His rock, version of rock music is exactly my favorite kind of rock music. So I would say Noel Gallagher is up there for me. And I love his solo stuff too. It's just as good to me as, as uh, the Oasis stuff was. Uh, Morrissey. Now, I, I'm cheating a little bit on this one too because I know that as far as a Smith's perspective, which is when he was at his best, it was always Morrissey and Marr. Um, 
I love a lot of his solo stuff and a lot of his solo stuff I don't care for. And I know that he has become a very divisive figure in, in later years. So he might be kind of losing his, he, he's definitely not subtle anymore. He's kind of a cranky old guy. And I don't like that as much. Although I do think his last album, which was called Low in High School, was much better than it got credit for sonically. Um, I go back to Morrissey because there have been large, large spans of my life where he and his output mattered more to me than just about anybody, whether it was good or bad. So I had to include Morrissey on there. And then these last two, um, Billy Squire. I love Billy Squire. I think he's completely underrated. I know he gets a lot of flack for that Rock Me Tonight video. I don't think it's entirely deserved. And I know he hasn't done anything in a long time, which makes him somebody that I just kind of root for. I love every one of his albums except the last one. And I just think he's great and uh, misunderstood, um, more deserving of, of respect and fandom. I think he's amazing. And for anyone who doesn't know, I'm going to be appearing on the Pods and Sods podcast with Eric Miller and BJ Cramp were doing this long series on Billy Squire covering every one of his albums. That'll be coming out soon. And then lastly, I'm going with Joe Jackson. I love Joe and I love his talent and ability. He has put out a lot of garbage, a lot of albums that are completely inconsequential. The, the orchestral ones, the jazz ones, I have no need for most of that stuff. But when he wants to focus on writing pop songs there are few people better at that craft than him. So I had to, I decided to go with Joe Jackson as my fifth. There are lots of other people I mentioned last week with Steve Kilby, uh, Dave Faulkner of the Hoodoo Gurus. I think he's a genius. There are many, many, I, I didn't even, Stevie Wonder, obviously, um, who's still with us. He has a lot of garbage in his uh, catalog as well. So I didn't go with him, but I could have. There's the classics like Holland, Dozier Holland or Smokey Robinson or a lot of those Motown people. Um, I could have gone with any of those, but these are the five that I'm going with. Okay, Yan, over to you. All right. So I really find this a tough one. Yeah. Because normally the, <laughs> you, you think the only person you'd be willing to take a bullet for would be you know, someone that's really close to you. And for me, that would be my, my teenage son. Nicholas, uh, but since we're we're going with uh, singer songwriters, I did go down the path of somebody that's already dead. Mm -hmm. and if it if it could be one that would, you know, bring them back, it would be Freddie. Mm. It's just it's just not Queen without him. And for me, the only person that could have filled his shoes is also gone, George yeah. Michael. I, I can't stand Adam Lambert, so I won't <laughs> go, go and see them. So, you know, and I, you know, I've I've had friends that uh, couldn't stand, and I think I talked about this with you before. Before, you know, I bought a copy of uh, the the Thorns album back. Mm. I had it back when it initially came out, and it's in storage in the states, so I don't have it to hand. So I bought another copy, and. I went to go loan it to somebody, and they didn't want to. They didn't want to know as soon as they heard Matthew Sweet was in it. Mm. <laughs> you know, so 
some some musicians have have that ability to rub people the wrong way, and they never. Yeah. So your friend was turned off by the idea of Matthew Sweet being in that band. Uh huh. That would have been a selling point for me. I love Matthew Sweet. Yeah. That is so weird. You got weird friends. Yeah, I was like, well, a co-worker. So. Oh, screw that guy. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then, anyway, back to, yes. the, to the list. Uh, my next one I put down is Mark Lanigan. Hmm. And I don't know how many people are familiar with the um, Screaming Trees. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're very influential in the grunge era before Nirvana. Uh, and his voice just really lends itself to that really well for for other work that he's done you can you could look at queens of the stone age and the gutter twin the the gutter twins mm-hmm. he has some uh, really good solo albums too one of them's called bubblegum and he yeah. did an album with i'm blanking on her name a girl i think she was the lead singer of a band called frufru uh in nara i don't remember but anyway he's got such a great voice oh yeah yeah isn't Absolutely. uncle anesthesia by screaming trees one of your favorite albums ever yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. I have most of their studio stuff, actually. Sweet. Uh, so move, moving on on my list, Mike Ness of Social yeah. Distortion. Mm-hmm. That guy, I, to me, he's the creative talent for that band. Mm-hmm. And his guitar playing is, is really, really good. Have you ever seen them in concert? No, I really want to. Yeah, I got to I see them a few years ago. So good. Desperately want to. Uh, I hope I get the chance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, another one, and we've already had her on the show, Elite Adams. Mm-hmm. Uh, for you know, some of the stuff that she put out, especially for me, New York State of Mind, just that combination of that jazzy, soulful. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Good ones. And I forgot to uh, address the whether I've asked them to be on the show. Noel Gallagher, I haven't because I doubt he'd do it. Uh, same with Morrissey. Billy Squire, I check in with about every six months. And his person always tells me, um, let me ask. And then I hear, if, if I hear back, it's like a week later. Billy is not doing any interviews at this time, but he thanks you for your interest. That's happened to me three times probably now. So nothing's ever happened with Billy Squire. Um, Joe Jackson turned me down, and which is probably okay. I've heard he's a little cranky. I read his book too a uh, number of years ago. And then Neil Finn. I have tried Neil Finn. <laughs> Little story. So um, I tried him a couple of times and I got turned down. And back in, I think, 2016, my thinking was, well, so their debut album is my number one favorite album of all time. And it would turn 30 years old in 2017. And I highly doubt anyone in the States is going to be paying attention to the 30th anniversary of the first Crowded House album. So what if I did that? So I'll go to Neil Finn's people and I'll say, I want to do a special 30th anniversary thing with Neil Finn to do to talk about Crowded House, the first Crowded House album. And his people came back to me and were like, actually, we have a ton of stuff planned in the pipeline to celebrate. And I'm sorry, he can't do anything right now. And of course, this goes back to us, you know, being small potatoes compared to all the other things. He was on Nerdist. I remember that. He was on the Nerdist podcast with with uh, Chris Hardwick. So I let it go. 
And, uh, the, you know, fair enough. I'm some small potatoes. I get it. So I wait about a year. And uh, last fall, I contact his people again and say, you know, hey, it's been a while. I think most of the hype around the 30th anniversary is and they, they reissued all their old albums on these like collector's editions. I think the hype of all that has died down. Do you think Neil would talk to me now? I didn't get a response, but the very next day he announced on Facebook that he was doing this whole thing where he was going to be recording a new album, his new album live on with people watching on Facebook. So it was like, well, obviously he's busy doing something else. And that was really dumb timing on my part. So that's <laughs> the story. I don't think, I don't know if and when I would ever get Neil Finn or a lot of these people on here, unless, you know, we suddenly had hundreds of thousands of listeners. So that's the story there. Um, I've got I've got one more. On oh, my... I'm sorry. I didn't know I cut you off, oh, buddy. No. I'm sorry. Oh no 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 no. That's fine. Okay. But, uh, that's totally fine. So the last last uh, I say last but not least on on my list is Alison Krauss. Just yeah. that voice. Just oh, just um, incredible. Voice of an angel. She's amazing. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And she she seems to have her mojo back. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a good one. She is incredible. Um, well, good. Sorry I stepped on your last one. I didn't know. Oh, no, no problem. Okay. okay. So that's uh, that's it. I mean, uh, hopefully people enjoy this. I don't know. Um, I thought it was fun. It's cool to kind of go back and fill you guys in on you know what's happening behind the scenes on some of these episodes. You guys tell us whether you think this is interesting or not. If it's not, maybe we won't do them anymore. If you do, then we'll continue to do them. We'll continue to discuss how we want to go forward in terms of involving listeners. If you want to be a part of this, let us know. Um, if you have any ad advice on whether to charge or ask for donations for such a thing, let us know that as well. Um, we would prefer probably not going that direction, but then I wonder if we're crazy for thinking that way. So I'm not exactly sure. Um, anything else you want to say, Yan? No, I think... Uh, just watch the space on on the website. I'm close to getting a couple of things done that I really feel it needs to be in place before I can can uh, release it out into the wild. But uh, I'll be letting you loose test driving it uh, uh, here soon. Cool. Okay. Awesome. So, and going out, I said we're going to pl play songs that you can buy on iTunes that were recorded by our listeners. Last time it was Rob Disner. This time we're going to go with Mike Wagner. You guys may remember Mike if you listen to the Robert LaRoche of the Size episode. That came out around the time that Mike lives in Houston and the hurricane had just happened. And he came on our show as well as, I think he came on the Rock in the Suburbs podcast and maybe some others, just talking about streaming um, Houston musicians on streaming services so that the money made from those streams could go back to, you know, rebuilding Houston or the infrastructure after all of this. So Mike's band is called Total Strangers. They have one album out there that you can purchase on uh, iTunes. I've heard it on Spotify. The song that we're going to close out with is called Won't Hurt At All. And if you like it, go pick it up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Bye.